Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and we guys we explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. This episode is episode two of the African American Heritage in the Ozark series, and we covered the introduction and brought attention to the numerous oral history narrators and storytellers and history keepers who joined us during the course of that project to share their memories of growing up and living in the Ozarks. Starting with today's episode, we'll list off a number of key events, key individuals, and key themes uh, throughout the Ozarks. We'll begin with the northeastern portion of the Ozarks, better known as the Lead Belt, or as some call it, the Old Lead Belt, um, in the life of John A. Lankford. Now, you might be asking yourself, who is John A. Lankford? Um, I've never heard of him. You know, what significance does he hold? Well, today we'll introduce you to John A. Lankford um, and understand a gentleman who rose to great prominence um, as an architect and designer in the United States. Now, before we begin with John A. Lankford's life, let's get a little bit of background on this northeast corner of the Ozarks called the Lead Belt. Now, the regional distinction of the Lead Belt, or as it's known today, the Old Lead Belt, comes from the discovery of lead in what is today east-central Missouri in the early 18th century. While lead was promising, the French explorers that soon flocked to the region hoped that their mining expeditions would soon lead to silver and possibly even gold, though this was never fully realized. Mine Lamotte was first established near present-day Fredericktown in 1720, with operations at Mine of Breton a few years later. Taken together, this old lead belt region encompassed Madison, St. Francis, and Washington counties, with many of these mines remaining active into the mid-20th century. And today, visitors to the area can go to Missouri Mine State Historic Site at Park Hills, which preserves the story of this mining history and this mining legacy. Washington County, named for George Washington, was first organized a few years prior to Missouri statehood in the early 19th century. However, sizable settlements date back much further in the region. Some of the first French mining expeditions in what is today Washington County began in the early 18th century with Philippe Francois Renault and Antoine de la Mothe. Today, the county seat is Potosi, but this community began first as Mine Abraton, named for Francois Azor in 1763, a year prior to the founding of St. Louis. The name Potosi was later given to the community by Moses Austin as a tribute to the silver mining community in Bolivia with the same name. Moses Austin and his wife Mary are perhaps the most famous people buried in Potosi. After moving to Missouri in the 1790s to manage a mining operation and building up what would become Potosi, the Austins set their sights south, where their son, Stephen F. Austin, played a major role in the colonization of Texas in the 19th century. Some of the very first enslaved African people brought to the land that was later called Missouri arrived not long after excavation began near Mine Lamotte by French settlers. At first, the number of enslaved Africans remained low as the mining groups preferred white laborers as well as enslaved Native Americans. Yet, as scholars have argued, the transition to enslaved African labor took place by the mid-18th century due to concerns that the enslavement of Native Americans impacted local relations between tribes and the mining groups. 
By the turn of the 19th century, the system of slavery was firmly entrenched along the Mississippi River Valley, including communities like St. Louis, Cape Girardeau, and St. Genevieve. While mining utilized enslaved people as well as free people of color in the region, agriculture and river work, much like the rest of Missouri, was by far the largest labor force. By the start of the Civil War, Washington County had the fourth highest enslaved population in the Ozarks and ranked in the top third of all Missouri counties. Anderson and Nancy Langford were two of the enslaved people who lived in Washington County. Born in the 1830s, they endured agriculture, mining, and domestic labor. Records indicate that they were officially married in 1865, but this relationship dated back through a portion of their enslavement. The 1870 census notes that they lived together in Breton Township with four of their children. Anderson's occupation was listed as farmer, while Nancy was, quote, keeping house, end quote. A decade later, according to the 1880 census, the Lankfords still resided in Breton Township, now with eight children, but while Nancy continued to be listing as, quote, keeping house, Anderson's occupation had been changed to lead miner. John A. Lankford, the focus of today, was born into this family in Washington County, Missouri, on December 4, 1874. Without a census for 1890, it is hard to track the Lankfords through the end of the 19th century, but in 1900, Anderson is listed as working as a lead miner and living in Breton Township with his daughter, Ella. Nancy Langford passed away in May 1894. A few years later, when Anderson passed away in 1907, the St. Louis Palladium eulogized that he left, quote, a family of 10 children, all of whom were of age and of the highest standing among business and professional lines in the several different states and communities in which they live, end quote. While all of Anderson and Nancy's children went on to respectable lives both in and outside of Missouri, John A. Langford was arguably the most well-known. Every career accomplishment dutifully noted in his local newspapers. Not bad for a farm kid of formerly enslaved people and a minor son from rural Missouri. John A. Lankford spent his early years in the farm fields and lead mines that surrounded Washington County. Due to state laws restricting students of color to segregated schools, he attended a school simply known as, quote, colored school for his formal education in Washington County. When not in school, he worked as a farm laborer and in the nearby mines alongside his father and his siblings. Seeking higher educational opportunities, he enrolled at Lincoln Institute in Jefferson City. Known today as Lincoln University, Lincoln Institute was founded in 1866 by African-American Civil War veterans. It was named Lincoln after President Abraham Lincoln. During Langford's time on campus, the school was presided over by Inman E. Page, a formerly enslaved man who had graduated and earned degrees from Howard University and Brown University. Page served as president of Lincoln Institute from 1880 to 1898 and again from 1922 to 1923. In his book on the history of Lincoln University, historian W. Sherman Savage notes that the school's curriculum underwent a serious visions in the era that Linkford would have been a student on campus. While the core courses remained the same, a new focus on manual training and industrial education developed at the start of the 1890s. For students such as Lankford, this would have included the construction of new facilities on campus thanks to the second Morrell Act of 1890, which expanded educational opportunities, particularly in agriculture and mechanical arts at land-grant institutions. The second Morrell Act also included funding for many historically black colleges, such as Lincoln Institute. While at Lincoln, Langford took courses in mechanical drawing, blacksmithing, carpentry, engineering, and machinery. He also worked as a janitor and as an agent for steam laundry and pants companies to earn money to pay his way through school. After completing his studies at Lincoln, Langford took courses at Tuskegee Institute in Alabama and the Air National Correspondence School in Pennsylvania. Between 1896 and 1902, he worked as a blacksmith in St. Louis and supervised engineering projects at cotton mills in Georgia and North Carolina. He also taught and earned degrees in science from Shaw University, Morris Brown College, and Wilberforce College. 
While teaching at Alabama Agricultural and Mechanical University, Alabama A&M, Langford met Charlotte Josephine Upshaw, the granddaughter of Henry McNeil Turner, a prominent bishop in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. They married in 1901, and a daughter, Josephine, was born in 1903. Soon after their wedding, the Langfords made their home in Washington, D.C. This move to Washington, D.C. coincided with John's employment as the architect and supervisor for the construction of the United Order of the True Reformer Building in the city. Officially dedicated in 1903, the True Reformer Building housed the Offices for the True Reformers, an African-American benevolent organization dedicated to community issues. Since its construction, the building has been home to several civic institutions, and it still stands today at 1200 U Street Northwest, near the campus of Howard University. A sizable undertaking, the True Reformer Building became one of John A. Lankford's signature designs. Not long after completing the True Reformer Building, John opened his own architectural firm in Washington, D.C., John A. Lankford and Brother. He was joined at the firm by, surprise, his brother, Arthur Edward Lankford, who followed John's educational path into the architecture industry. By the end of the first decade of the 20th century, John A. Lankford and Brother had 12 branch offices in the United States and completed several building projects, particularly in Virginia and Maryland. During this period of substantial growth, Lankford was also appointed supervising architect for the African Methodist Episcopal Religious Denomination, and as a result, he drafted architectural designs for several AME churches in the United States and even in South Africa. According to Paul Kelsey Williams in his summary of Lankford's career in African American Architects, a biographical dictionary, 1865 to 1945, he estimates that Lankford designed at least 45 churches and 16 educational facilities. Due to his expertise with churches, Lankford was selected to design a new Presbyterian church in his hometown of Potosi, Missouri. The structure it replaced was originally built in the 1830s and served the community for over 70 years. This new church was dedicated in 1909 and still stands today. The Potosi Journal noted that John A. Lankford and Brother created a design that, quote, was selected as coming nearer the style or requirements as designed by the committee, end quote, and adding that, quote, the walls are built of azure stone, the foundry from the gray native limestone, and the superstructure from DeSoto limestone, which has a creamy tint. The roof is red tiling. The inside effect is timber groining in natural pine finish and gray plastered walls and ceilings making a pretty and harmonious ensemble, end quote. Though his architectural career received sizable acclaim during his life, John A. Lankford was always passionate about education. He returned to higher education to teach at Wilberforce University and Edward Waters College, and later earned a law degree from Ryland Heisen University. He also wrote extensively on architecture for publication, including a book entitled Lankford's Artistic Churches and Other Designs. Over the course of his life, John A. Lankford was one of the most well-known architects in the United States. In the 1920s, he served as architect of the Chappelle Administration Building on the campus of Allen University, historically black college in South Carolina, which is presently listed as a National Historic Landmark. Additionally, after a fire destroyed the church of the Big Bethel AME Congregation in Atlanta, Georgia, in 1923, Langford designed a new building that later became a key house of worship during the Civil Rights Movement. Big Bethel AME Church still stands today. Towards the end of his career, Langford served as a consultant for the U.S. Department of Interior and the U.S. Navy. Additionally, he was a significant leader in the African-American community, serving as vice president of the National Negro Business League and president of the National Technical Association, an organization dedicated to scientists, engineers, and architects of color. He was also the first African-American architect licensed in Virginia and in the District of Columbia. Johnny Langford died at his home in Washington, D.C. on July 2, 1946. His funeral was held at Metropolitan AME Church, and he was buried at Lincoln Memorial Cemetery in Maryland.
Over the course of his life, John A. Lankford endured many challenges, not only in the design of buildings, but also in his everyday existence in the United States. The son of formerly enslaved people who grew up near farms and mines in the rural Missouri Ozarks grew to great prominence designing churches, schools, and other buildings around the United States. In eulogies about his life, he was reflected on as a trailblazer, as an innovator, and as the dean of black architects. And today he is remembered not only for his famous designs, but for the many lives he impacted, from Potosi to the Potomac. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests, and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri. <laughs>